The Benjamin Dixon Show is only possible with listener support. Go to www.thebenjamindixonshow.com to register for our blog and join the progressive army. And now, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it's the Benjamin Dixon Show. Good evening, everybody, and welcome. It's Thursday. Yay! Happy Thursday, everybody. My name is Noah Changa, and I am standing in this evening for the one and only Benjamin Dixon. Benjamin is, you know, jet-setting around the world, handling business, and I am filling in once again um, for him, and I would like to welcome you. Um, thank you for those of you who are new viewers and, and, and new subscribers. Um, if you have are just visiting the page, if you've checked out some videos before, make sure to hit subscribe. Help the Benjamin Dixon Show channel grow. Ben provides all of us with such a great platform. Um, if you have not already done so, also check out some of our fabulous writers on ProgressiveArmy.com. Um, I will be joined in about uh, 15 minutes or so by one of our writers. Um, actually, he broke a very awesome story last night. Um, Salam Marcos, uh, who uh, broke one of the, the Guccifer leak stories um, today. Several documents were released. Uh, Salam actually had access to that, that information yesterday, so we had a little jump on the on the curve, so that was pretty sweet. Um, there is uh, so much going on in the world today. Of course, obviously, there's so much going on every day, right? It'd be pretty dull-like. Um, but first, you know, I just, I just, it's, it's mid-September. We're almost in October 2016. The dumpster fire that has been 2016 is almost over. Um, I'm not in necessarily a rush, but, you know, the sooner we can move on past all this mess, I want to just touch on a few points from last night. So yesterday we discussed Trump unveiled his child care plan. Um, and, you know, it, it seems seemingly reasonable. There's, there is some really big holes, but he actually put some policy out there, right? Um, you know, Ivanka has clearly uh, uh, influenced her father to some extent. Um, apparently it doesn't apply to gay dads. Trump, little girl Trump's words, right? Um, yeah, so just when, you know, you might start getting a little nervous because the Trumps start sounding like normal and talking policy like real politicians should be, um, they, they, they pull you right back into the dumpster fire. Uh, and, and we did talk about this last night, Stacey Hopkins was on me, we did talk about this, how, like, even though they talk, they said maternity, you know, six weeks of maternity leave would be a part of this plan, it did not account for family leave in general, it did not account for paternity leave, fathers who choose to stay home, whether they're, you know, gay, straight, whatever, it did not account for, you know, fathers being able to stay home with their with their children as well, you know, with, with family leave. That is amenable to, to all members of the family who would be able to stay home and care for another immediate family member. Um, so, yeah, like it, it's just it's just that I really feel like there there are those people though who that type of stance will appeal to, right? We've seen the way, particularly the religious right, have come down in favor of anything that absolutely um, denies equal access and rights to various groups of people, whether they're members of the LGBTQ community or just any group that they've deemed undesirable, right? And, and, and more often in, in these times, it is members of the LGBT community. Um, you know, people have issues with single parents, people have issues with, with, with all different types. So, so it's not necessarily surprising that they're trying to appeal to because that's their base. They, want, they sound kind of normal on the plan, but you know, it's like these little tidbits here and there. If you don't catch it, you might miss something. But trust and believe, whatever might have seemed like a more moderate stance and approach is, is definitely laced with some of that good old Trump, you know, bigotry and, and, and crazy. <laughs> um, so that was just, I just wanted to, that was just when I saw her remarks earlier today, and I'm just like, and everyone can point out about how she hangs out with Putin's girlfriend or whatever the case may be, but her and her husband are also good friends with Chelsea and her husband. You know, they do the, they do the couple friends thing. Um, so it's it's really questionable. Um, you are company you keep, and I mean, if your friends are hanging out with Putin's girlfriend, what does that say about you? I don't know. Um, also, uh, something else that I ran across that I not that it wasn't important to report on, but I, I did almost forget about it today was Sandra Bland's family um, settled their wrongful death suit. Um, 
for $1.9 million. Uh, and part of that, uh, earlier, I believe it was Cameron Hall actually had an interview with Sandra Bland's mother. Um, she has been, you know, on, on the campaign trail previously with the Secretary Clinton as one of the mothers of the movement. Um, and she, you know, has, in spite of all that stuff, has still been going on with trying to get um, at least some modicum of justice um, for her daughter. I, I mean, no, no amount, no sum can be placed on anyone's life. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, this is the only, you know, actual penalties in the form of damages, right? Um, through, through lawsuits, through civil suits, is, is, is at times the only recourse that families have where we have a justice system, an injustice system that refuses to hold cops and, and, and detention facilities, et cetera, uh, accountable for what is happening, particularly when the, the information has come out, you know, since about uh, people changing their stories, just falsifying information, just all types of stuff. Um, so, so it's really, really, really problematic. And I believe as a part of the, the settlement, there are some um, changes that the, that the prison, the jail actually has to make itself. So um, that was another, just, just you know, I want to go through some of this brief news while, while we bring on so long so you can talk about his article and, and, and his interactions with Lucifer. Um, also, uh, going on is the, um, the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. The Congressional Black Caucus, they're having um, an ongoing event. It was, a, I think it was like Black Legislative Day or something like that on the Hill. Um, and, and one of the conversations, of course, has been, continues to be, you know, issues involving policy policing. Um, and there's just this great quote from today. It was policing, policy, and profit are all intimate, intimately connected. And that's absolutely true. I mean, when you look at Baltimore, for example, with the DOJ report that came out, you look at part of that period during the, of the purview of DOJ, um, they were paying you know, Bill Bratton, who we know has now since retired from the, from working for the New York Police, excuse me, worked for the New York Police Department. Um, Bill Bratton was a paid consultant to Baltimore during that time period that had all these violations with the Department of Justice. And now that he's in, he's back doing private work again, he's once again a consultant paid to help Baltimore. It's just like when we keep cycling, this is this is this is a business model, right? It's, it's, a, it's a fragmented business model, but it's a model that they're willing to keep shelling out money for um, because if they fix it, then it, it, it cramps the style. There's no money, there's no profit to be made anymore if they fix the system. So they continue to recycle bad actors. They continue to recycle um, horrible consultants that don't actually address the underlying issues. I mean, same thing when you look at you know the statistics and other entities that are utilized by the Department of Justice to um, research and try to develop rationales and reasons. I talked a couple nights ago about the, uh, the, the supposed spike in, in, in murder rates from homicide rates from 2014 to 2015. And when you look at some of the underlying, you know, there's, there's a report commission and it has words like Ferguson effect in it, um, something that has been widely debunked. And this is a report that's being utilized by the Department of Justice and it makes no sense. So we have to continue, and I know I say this general phrasing all the time, but it's absolutely true. We have to continue to drive dialogues, to challenge narratives, and, and it's not good enough that people are talking about it. It's not good enough that they'll say the right thing, but are they actually backing it up with legislative, executive, and, in some, and in this case, administrative action? Does that actually happen? And how do we like have conversations to make sure that we're following up in accountability? I mean. We need to have the actual initial actions, but then we need to have the follow-up and the accountability happening as well. Um, so it's really great that everyone wants to convene and have these different panels and conversations. Um, another thing that she's made me think of was T.I. recently released a video, um, I believe it's called Warzone, um, where he depicts various incidences of police brutality, violence, and harassment with the roles reversed. With, um, instead of the, 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 he basically builds on stories of black victims who have been, you know, killed by the police, and he shifts them with, you know, white victims and black police officers. And everyone, you know, today is like, oh, my God, this is, you know, it is. It's, it's visually, it's well done. 
Um, the story the story that's being told through the song itself is well done. You know, he includes Jane Elliott. I mean, it, 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 it is really, it connects a lot of pieces. However, it has a lot of huge holes. And and while it's great, I find it, I have, it's great that people make an attempt, but are, are these attempts through these one songs here and there from this rapper or, you know, this gesture from this athlete, is that good enough? I mean, once you decide you're going to step into the foray and speak out, do you then, as a, someone in, whether you're an athlete or an actor, when you're a notable personality of some sort, you know, of some means, do you then, by, by, by choosing to speak out, by choosing to engage, do you then have a greater sense of responsibility to actually follow through and make sure that you're actually adding value to the conversation? Because simply rewriting characters, not characters, forgive me, because these were actually real life situations. He actually depicted and, 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 you know, you can get into the nuance and that factually there are some things wrong with the scenarios, but for the dramatic purposes of the video, it works very well. But, you know, he depicts the scene with a, a little white boy walking across the playground, you know, looks kind of big for his age, walking across the playground with what looks like a gun. It's a toy gun. Um, and he's killed in front of a gazebo, like Tamir Rice. Um, and, and now we have uh, a 13-year-old Tyree King, also with a BB gun in Ohio, who has now been killed by the police as well. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, they, they, they had a, a, a larger set a white guy who was harassed by police on a corner who was choked, basically put in a chokehold and choked against Eric Garner. So you have these scenarios that are being replayed with white victims and I understand the thought behind it. Like, if you were in our shoes, you would understand. However, that type of scenario seems to, like, it disregards so many different issues, including the fact that it's not just a matter that you've had black victims with white police officers. It's the system itself. You could have black or Latino. I mean, the police officer, you know, in Philana Castile's case was Latino. Everyone keeps pointing out, but he's Latino, but he's Latino. When you have a system that does not value life, you know, disproportionately less than any other, it does not matter who the cop is. It does not matter who's pulling the trigger. It's the fact that there's a system that is imbued with these ideologies and inconsistencies and inherent disregard for human life of those of color because it doesn't matter that you have, I mean, if you've ever seen um, Boys in the Hood, for example, right? There's a scene when when, 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 when the boys get, when Ricky and, and uh, my mind's going blank, huh, when they get pulled over and it is the black cop. It is the black cop who's going so hard and over the top, not the white one who seems very uncomfortable by the whole scenario. So it's not so much, it's not always even, I mean, race of the individual actors can be a factor in an issue, but it's the racism in the system. It is the systemic racism in the system. And people of color can perpetuate white supremacy and systemic racism as well because they, they benefit from maintaining the status quo in the system. And that is something that I feel is one of the things that's lost by, you know, T.I.'s attempt in this video, you know, that's great that she said, you know, T.I. also attempted to kind of get people out to vote uh, here in, um, in, in uh, Georgia when we had the primary, you know, he made his little, I support Bernie Sanders, okay, that's cool. Never saw T.I. anywhere around in Georgia, never saw any get out to vote after the, however, at approximately 1, 2 p.m. on election day, when people are at work, because it's a primary, so everybody's at work, there's an there's the Instagram post, y'all go out and vote. So I've seen T.I.'s attempts to do the right thing. Um, they fall short. And I don't think there's anything wrong with calling people out when they fall short. I think that we're too much in a, we rush to congratulate and get excited because somebody did something. Okay, so doing something is not always better than, you know, contemplating and being silent and, and choosing, you know, a deeper course of action. Like, I think that the, the push to do something that's provocative and get out there, you know, you know, Colin has been taking a knee and others are doing the same as well. But we spend so much time talking about these actions that these people are doing and less time actually looking at the issues and policies and behaviors that actually need to be addressed. Um, yeah, so that was just my little thoughts on uh, that whole. So also, um, I guess, so Edward Snowden has asked for... Um, He's asking Obama for a pardon. He wants to be pardoned. He wants to come back to the United States. Um, I think the ACLU maybe has started a petition on his behalf, and they're, they're trying to work to help, you know, see if they can garner the pardon. But there is 
I guess there was a house report or, or some other, um, you know, some other procedure, proceeding that has come, that came about. And he has a series of tweets. Edward Snowden has a series of tweets today, um, basically blasting um, the rhetoric about him. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he says like, uh, what was the one? He said that, you know, claim I reported a critical problem, software updates taking field sites offline to senior management and was reprimanded. He said, that's true. This next tweet is, but that doesn't say good things about going through proper channels at the NSA. Not sure they understand how this hurts their case. You know, they, they also try to say that basically it's a bunch of factual inaccuracies being alleged, you know, by this investigation. And he goes through point by point, you know, explaining why it's wrong, why what he did, what he did, um, and how they were they were convoluting. So Congress is there's a report. And the film, that's what it is. The film, the Oliver Stone film, opens tomorrow, comes out tomorrow. Um, yeah, so we, we, I personally will not be going to see it, not because of anything personally issue. You know, with the family and the kids kind of pick the movies they want to see, we kind of budget it out that way. So, but, you know, definitely if it's something that interests you and you're, you know, engaged in this topic, go see the movie. I mean, for nothing else, Oliver Stone makes a hell of a movie. Um, and, and it has, you know, Shailene's in it. So I mean, why not? Right. But, but, but one of the things he's saying is that they are, they're trying to not only undermine his credibility. And like I said, he's trying to get a pardon right now, but they're also trying to just, to just, just, just really spin again, another set of false narratives. Um, he was saying that, that they, they, they convolute. The difference between his actual sanction, his actual authorized work, and you know his unauthorized whistleblowing activities, and and he, he goes through. So definitely, if you don't if you don't already follow him, he's at Snowden on Twitter. Um, definitely go through and and, and read through them. Um, you know they they go through this whole the NSA deputy director goes through this whole nonsense Russian spy theory. There's just like all types of stuff um, that's there and and, and rather inaccurate. Um, and even if you go back through document, it's, it's so funny because even Eric Holder, um, former Attorney General Eric Holder, in, in what the past few months has said, you know, they owe a debt of gratitude in many ways to Eric Snowden. Like his the language they use over the past two years has changed, you know, and how they talked about him. And now it's like, had we had he not done what he did, we would not have known, you know, X Y Z was happening. And so it was almost like it was almost like a thankfulness in his tone this year. Versus, you know, other previous interviews and stuff when they've been asked. Uh, just a few other things, and Salam is in the house, so we're going to get rain and shit over here. But just real quickly, two other, two other things happened today. Um, the council passed a resolution um, basically banning uh, uh, BDS by uh, entities, um, further restricting. Uh, so we have, you know, uh, Baby Cuomo. Um, Governor Cuomo has already stated that, you know, businesses that do business with the state of New York are, you know, you will, they will not be, you will not be permitted to do business with the state of New York if you are um, boycotting or a part of the divest movement. Um, and the city of New York has filed suit with... Uh, uh, Noah, your uh, audio just went bad. So we're going to have to go to a waiting screen and uh, have you sign out and come back. They don't hear me, so you might want to let them know. Your audio's gone robot. <laughs> so apparently, because oh, I don't know. Wait, you just came back. So it, oh, it came back. Well then, the audio's going out. See, even though this is Ben's channel and it's his show right now, definitely support and donate his Patreon, but please check out mine as well. I'm working with my antiquated equipment and trying to do my best to bring you the latest uh, week in and week out. So apologies for the little robot here and there. You know, this microphone, I got the exact microphone that Ben told me to, you know, but it, it's still the cord. It's just like this specific one is like the gremlin. The gremlin's a try <laughs> but it's okay because I'm, I'm hanging in there. I'm just real quickly though. Um, Palestine Legal issued a statement in response to New York City Council Resolution 1050-A, condemning all efforts to delegitimize the state of Israel and the global movement to boycott, divest from, and sanction the people of Israel, um, which passed yesterday. And and it's basically, you know, it, 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 it just talks about, the statement talks about how that 
boycotts are a long-held, recognized social, political, economic, you know, means of achieving social, political, economic change, and it's a First Amendment protected activity. So they are they are censoring speech, um, you know, to the benefit of this a particular group, and it, and it, and, it, and again, it's 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 an it's a it's a serious issue when at the same time we are condemning you know North Carolina for you know HB two. We have we have no problem with the boycott and essential divestment from North Carolina in the same way. And but just because there's such a huge value and lobby behind, you know, supporting Israel in this instance, we don't even consider the fact that we're crushing the ability of people to exercise their first member right um, to, to, to urge and protest a divestment from the state of Israel. And so um, I've tweeted out earlier, I'll tweet it out again for Palestine Legal. It's a very, very well done speech. There are several um, city council members from New York who, who voted against this resolution, you know, for these reasons for the most part, and um, it's definitely something to consider. So now, I won't keep him laying, waiting too long. Um, I'll bring Salam on. Salam, how are you doing this evening? So I think you might be muted. Yeah, he has to unmute himself. Okay. If you can just unmute yourself. I think I just did. Hi, Anwar. How are you doing? Yay! How, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Talk to me. Well, thank you for joining me. Dude, you're like the coolest guy ever. <laughs> you get like you're like James Bond. So tell me, you you had some conversations and you were able to get like exclusive access to documents ahead of the release today. That is true. Yes, I started to converse uh, to converse with a hacker who calls himself Gucifer 2.0 and uh-huh. on Twitter and at one point I convinced him that uh, to have a discussion with me and then eventually he decided to leak the uh, documents from the DCCC which is, or the, which is called the DCCC um, which is the Democratic um, the Democratic Congressional Committee uh, campaign committee, I think. So uh, he leaked them to to me to so that I could release them. Initially, when I first looked at them, they seemed all benign, but thanks to the right. of John McDonald, he did a lot of research and he actually found a lot of things in there that shows that the Democratic Party um, fixed its favorites in uh, primaries. Mm-hmm. It doesn't remain. Um, impartial, or uh, as it uh, claimed in, on June first, that it doesn't uh, it doesn't pick favorites within uh, within the primaries. Uh, clearly, especially in North Carolina's 12th district, um, they chose and decided to support um, a candidate, uh, the incumbent at the time, representative. Uh, Alma Adams, and okay. she was about to face uh, a tough primary. That's an interesting thing. The moment it be tough, they get to endorse her, which is uh, quite yeah. interesting. And that seems, and we we, we kind of saw that happen even in um, Florida with Debbie Washman Schultz. It was just once it was being reported that Tim Panova was a serious threat. That's when everyone, the entire establishment, not necessarily the DCCC, but like actual, you know, President Obama, Joe Biden, that's when it seemed like they really stepped in them. It was like, oh, we have to actually step in versus just letting the primary um, run its course. When you were going through the documents and going through your analysis and stuff, like, like, or, or just even across this whole primary season, we'll be watching, like, I mean, you know, someone might say that, oh, that's not that big of a deal. You know, they know those people. They know they'll good, be, do a good job. But, 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 but just break it down in simple terms. What is the problem with that happening? I mean, people should know it by now, but many do not. So if you could just share with us, what are some of the issues there? Well, the biggest problem is that it's supposed to be a primary. And the fact mm-hmm. that the Democratic Party calls itself to be democratic, um, it's ironic that the committee that uh, the congressional committee is supposed to be impartial so that it helps the people to de- the people the members of the party to choose uh, 
to elect its uh, members. Is it, and we may be losing. Yeah, him. I think that. Salam. Well, I think I lost you a little bit there. Can you hear me now? Now we can. I think I lost you a little bit there, but I, but I agree. Like that that is for those. I mean, most of us get in and have seen this happening. I mean, I, even on the state level, we see it happening. Like I've I've been talking about all week with Bruce Franks Jr. We are seeing it happen. Then in the primary, you know, the Missouri Democratic establishment lining up in the primary to basically, um, you know, stack the deck in favor of, of their candidate and their person who has been a part of their crew, so to speak, um, versus looking at letting people choose actually who's the better person, like we said, through the process, through the democratic process, who's the better person for the district, for the community, which is how it should be. Um, I would like to add one more thing, is that if if, if President Obama, for example, decided to endorse someone, uh, while, while definitely he shouldn't be, which and that's the right thing, he does have the right to do so. However, right. for the, for the uh, but you cannot have the Democratic Party itself insert itself into deciding who should be winning. So because that's a committee, that's an organization. So it's okay for the members to endorse certain candidates. For example, Bernie Sanders decided to endorse Tim. Right. That is not an issue. For President Obama to endorse Debbie Wasserman Schultz, despite how much I disagree with that choice. Right. But for the party, for the for the DCCC to uh, to support and endorse candidates, that is not uh, that should not be considered democratic in the first place. And it should be, uh, and I'm glad that the leaked documents prove that the Democratic Party is being impartial when it claims impartiality. Right, right. Um, so just to show, so from perusing through, what were some of the other things that really jumped out to you about, um, you know, what led you to finally like actually? Because I know you said originally looked benign. But what, what were there? Was there anything else that jumped out at you that said, yeah, I gotta write? Well, there are, there are a couple of things. Uh, one of them, and uh, it really uh, seemed shocking that they conducted a poll um, in, in North Carolina's uh, 12th district. Mm -hmm. And they asked our favorite, uh, consider uh, who, to, which uh, a person they have a favorable, favorable view of or unfavorable view. Um, and you would expect that um, someone like Bernie Sanders, especially that this poll was conducted mm -hmm. in April 4th, um, early in the primaries, would at least the, the party would be interested in knowing uh, how he is uh, being viewed uh, by the Democratic members. Mm -hmm. He was not included. Uh, President Obama was included, Hillary Clinton was included, and, and these are good choices. But for Bernie, right. for Bernie Sanders to be excluded, I thought this was just, um, uh, it shows that the establishment never considered, never respected him or considered him or was even interested to know if the members like him or not. Exactly. Uh, the other thing is regarding, um, uh, regarding um, uh, gerrymandering. North Carolina okay. specifically um, has a, a, the Democrats lost control of uh, both the General Assembly and the State Senate in 2010, yes. and that caused a, that gave uh, the Republicans full control to redistrict uh, the map after the 2010 census. Um, and as we know, the Republicans they did their best so that they can pack as many. African Americans uh, within certain districts, making them very safe democratic seats. But uh, but but by doing so, um, they make uh, other districts more favorable for towards uh, uh, Republicans or other incumbent seats. Other democratic incumbent seats as will have will face uh, tougher challenges. In fact, four at least four districts. 
Democratic uh, candidates, uh, because of the redistricting or the gerrymandering, to be more accurate, uh, mm -hmm. has led to has uh, the new redistricting. Um, the number of African Americans in those other four districts have mm -hmm. diminished uh, severely. In fact, okay. in one of the description of in, one, in the description and the reason uh, the Supreme Court decided to uh, strike down the map uh, because the the two districts, number one uh, district, the first district and the twelfth, they were drawn mm -hmm. in a shape that one was and one was um, that it said that it violates the, uh, the voter right, the Voting Rights Act. Oh, okay. What jumped out of what jumped out of the uh, points is that unfortunately the Democratic Party wasn't looking for an independent uh, approach on redistricting. It said that they were looking to redistrict the map so they can protect their incumbent members and try to pick additional seats, which is unfortunate because that's somewhat uh, hypocritical because they right, often right. criticize Republicans and rightfully so for using um, gerrymandering to benefit uh, uh, to benefit their uh, political goals, which is mm -hmm. many see that uh, as a, 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 as an insincere political tactic. Right, right. Um, so, just kind of just in summary, just in closing, like what what are some some major like anything else that you think that people should really be. Um, kind of paying attention to is like we as we start moving forward, right? Because um, you know these issues, it, it's so crazy when stuff like this happens, though. Because in some ways they're so focused on, like you were saying, protecting themselves or or their own special interests, they kind of defeat or frustrate the ultimate goal of you know regaining. You know, they say they want to pick up a few more seats, but they're really just concerned with maintaining power. You know, what, if any, you know, these takeaways about what we should be looking for going forward, or if you have any thoughts, just or anything you want to say in summary or closing? I think that uh, Democrats and even independents, they need to pressure all parties to be transparent, mm. so that the process um, is democratic, mm -hmm. regardless of the different political views. Uh, they need to pressure the different committees, whether it's the DNC, whether it's the RNC, uh, whether it's the UCCC, to make sure that the process is very transparent. And, and very transparent. And I think that there is an opportunity for uh, Democrats to be, uh, especially progressives, to be able to increase the transparency of the Democratic Party. Uh, because while presidential campaigns are very difficult, uh, campaigns for uh, s smaller congressional seats, for uh, for example, you can, uh, uh, for example, for uh, to have uh, caucus captains or to have uh, district, uh, to have more members within the Democratic Party that are progressives, you can establish new rules and you can pressure the party to be more transparent. Um, just like what happened in Maine, mm -hmm. and by being more transparent, you you basically deny the establishment the ability to be uh, to use such tactics, uh, which will uh, which interfere with the democratic process. That's my view. Awesome. Well, I'm one. I'm excited that you actually dug in because I do agree. Some of this stuff, when you first glance at it, it does look rather benign, like eh, whatever. So I am. I mean, I think it's great that someone did dig in deeper to some of this stuff. Um, and I'm really glad you're able to join me this evening. Thank you. Thank you. See you later. Bye. So, um, Salon brought up a very interesting point in terms of the Democratic Party focusing on those who it wants to support, basically at any and all costs, to further whatever particular goal. And not just the Democratic Party or the committees itself, but also Democratic loyalists within the media and with other um, 
you know, mediums that have, you know, huge uh, uh, audiences, whether they're on TV, whether they're in print, whether they're on Twitter, um, people whose voices carry weight, people who have, you know, especially when you talk about the journalistic community. Um, so, so I am really, really shifting gears right now. I'm kind of building on this, but I'm, I'm tired, right? And a lot of us are tired. And it's not even like, even people who are, you know, people who are like, I'm still going to stay in the party because I really do feel like this is where my energy needs to be. We're all tired. We're all tired. People who have left, and it don't even matter because you might find this issue, you know, even if you go into a third party scenario or some other scenario, you may still find this issue, find yourself having this issue. But I'm tired of privilege, you know, 40, late 30, 40, 50 year old white femmes, rich elitist white femmes, right? Who, who, who sit there and on, on Mount High and cast aspersions on all the rest of us. Talking about Clara Jeffrey. Clara Jeffrey decided to get her high and mighty self on Twitter this morning and talk about how she never hated millennials more and she has a snippet from an article from the New York Times about millennials wanting to vote third party. Now, she overlooks all the rest of the damn article, including the part where it says white women are almost evenly split between Trump and Hillary. The same white sisters that have been trying to shove Hillary Clinton down our damn throat can't even deliver their girlfriends. Can't even deliver their damn bridge partners. Girls from the social club, the ladies who lunch. They can't even effectively deliver all of them. So, Claire Jeffrey, while you sitting there and attacking a whole damn generation of voters, the future of this country, because you hate us, and granted that they were particularly talking about 18 to 29 year olds, but let's just keep it all the way real. People toss around the word millennial like it's a damn dirty word, like it's a dirty term. Um, People, people get bent out of shape. They use it. You know, millennials are lazy. Millennials are this. And yet there are reports that come out. They say millennials are like the hardest working generation. Millennials are the most educated and the, the, the least paid. You know, millennials have inherited, you know, the, 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 the late Gen X and on down have inherited, you know, one of the worst economic situations. Okay, we can talk about how the economy is rebounding, all this beautiful stuff, but that's not translating into value on the dollar in terms of jobs and what we're investing in these damn educations. They tell us we got to get to actually be something in life in this country. You know, we were suffering and struggling with student loan debt, with medical bills, with parents without proper uh, uh, insurance and medication and stuff like that, grandparents. You know, we got a lot put on our shoulders, but Clara Jeffries wants to sit, Miss Sidwell, you know, with your overpriced liberal arts education and your very spoiled background, we want to sit on your, well, like, look, honey, you know what I'm saying? If you want to hate anybody, y'all should hate all that hubris, all that we just going to double down no matter what, no matter how horrible of a dumpster fire Hillary versus Trump is going to be, we are going to double down. No matter all the signings, no matter no matter all the signs, no matter all the polls, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, because it's only February, it doesn't matter. It's only blah, 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 it doesn't matter. Hillary's going to be president. Hillary's going to be president. Hillary's going to be president. And now you're mad because people don't want to support your candidate. And now you're mad because y'all don't want to do no proper outreach and engagement with folks because this is how you get people to vote for your candidate. You talk about how you hate them. Like, how old are you? What are you, three? I hate you! Please. When you go through that piece, right, and we're talking about a fragment, you're talking about approximately a quarter of the voters polled in this New York Times CBS poll. Right. And these polls, it's not even like they're they're really, you know, the fact that most of these people are voting for Larry Johnson is a whole nother story. So these people are leaning a certain way anyway already. Right. That they're polling. Um, so so that's I'm not a polling expert. We can bring on Nick or somebody else someday to talk about, you know, the skews and the issues in the polling. But. These broad based generalizations, we've already, you know, when we saw the primary and the support for Bernie Sanders, we've already seen, you know, the polling be cracked wide open, particularly when it comes to millennial voters and our issues. And millennial voters, overwhelmingly across all genders, all genders, across all races, across, well, yeah, all genders, you know, millennial voters overwhelmingly supported the old guy from Vermont. 
So don't blame us, hon. Don't blame us. You're the one stuck kissing up to Cersei Lannister, okay? Like, that's all you. And in and, and her responses to, well, good luck with fascism, you know, the fact that people are so, we, we've been telling you that this is what was going to happen. We've been saying this for months, every step of the way. Democratic Party has doubled, doubled down, prevented, you know, honorable and meaningful process and engagement for, for the past year, right? You know, we continue to double down because we're going to break that glass ceiling. I mean, this is what is so detrimental and wrong when we talk about this type of feminism. Right. This so blind. We have to get to the seat of power just like the men have not, you know, we need to look at, you know, the, the commons and how to make things better for the group, not just uplifting, you know, our echelon and group of women, because I realize what it is. Hillary Clinton appeals to a certain grouping of women who see themselves in ascertaining degrees of power that have historically belonged only to predominantly white men. And instead, when you look at, you know, either whether you call it third wave or new, whatever, whatever term, now I hate terms. I hate all the different terms. You know, these movements happen in ways, blah, blah, blah. When you talk about you're a womanist, um, you're a humanist, you know, there are other, there are other framings for how to achieve parity in, in, in this country. And, 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 but this very narrow viewpoint, right? And she's upset because 26% of these younger voters are saying they're going to vote for Mr. Jo for Larry Johnson. 26% of these, and this is just one poll, right? And, and they'll be real quick to tell us, well, millennials, millennials aren't that big of the voting pool anyway. But the problem is when we're seeing this, this actually does come to play. And this is also, you know, the kind of the influence and issue with, with looking at even like Latino and black millennials is because in some of these swing states, you know, Hillary Clinton is struggling in some of these areas. Um, I think it's Iowa by one poll. Um, it's kind of clutch in Ohio, maybe. Um, allegedly, Georgia is a state of interest. I don't understand why. Um, you know, but the millennial vote, you know, can become one of those blocks to look at and does it help tip the balance? You know, she's still barely beating Donald Trump. It's within the statistical, you know, the error, margin of error. And some polls, you know, it, it's it's she's not outside this, the margin of error in, in, in several polls, right? And so they're scared. But instead of engaging people, instead of trying to build a coalition to work against fascism, you're trying to scare the mess out of us. And then you're trying to berate us and make us hate you. Like, I kind of want him to burn your damn, I, I kind of want him to set your world on fire because you're aggravating me so damn much. I mean, yeah, it burns, it sets mine on fire too, but guess what? My world is already on fire. I'm saddled with student loan debt, okay? It ain't nothing that your candidate is proposing going to make that any better. She's not, every part of her proposal in terms of student loan debt is the same damn ish that's already in place. Y'all so busy thinking about all the, the sundays and raindrops and lemon drops and gumdrops is going to rain down from the sky when your queen gets crowned, but you're not looking at what it takes to get there. What do you want to have? I mean, okay, Cersei, you get to be the queen on Mount High, but you don't burnt down half the damn kingdom. So what do you have? Like, I really got pissed off with this tweet today because the white woman entitlement, and no, I know, not all white women. Well, not all black women are, are rationally angry because I'm rightfully angry tonight. And and like I said, and, and really, I think part of why this bothers me is because I had an incident um, at a meeting at my daughter's school. My daughter does robotics club. Um, yeah, I have a little, little, little nerd baby, little brainiac. Um, but she's in robotics and um, we, we get to, I get to the meeting. My sister went for me. I went late, blah, blah, blah. Um, but anyway, you know, the parents, and I'm always the youngest parent in the room. I have no shame about having had kids young. Uh, I do a damn good job. My kids are awesome. I'll put them up against anybody else's. You know, the 50-year-olds, their kids can't touch mine. Um, but anyway, so like, at one point, we're talking about, you know, how to teach the kids project management and really, you know, digging in. These parents are aggravating. And Nayla's sending me little messages like, Right. And everybody that's aggravating you, they kids aggravate me like they just don't get it. And 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 one mom goes, oh, <laughs> I work with millennials, so, you know, I can handle some teenagers. And I just looked at her. And I'm just like, 
what the hell is wrong with you people? And and what ended up happening was I actually was the first person to volunteer to do two different things for the team. And, you know, the, 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 the coach laid out what he wanted done. I'm not a part of the inner mom crowd, you know, with the PTA folks, right? You know, um, it's not necessarily the most welcoming place to be. And that is the way these women are. It is not welcoming. It's not engaging. There are not opportunities to be a part of something bigger and better to improve their all. They have their little feet, them in their little domain. And this is how I rule. And it's my way. And this is what I'm going to do. And you're a millennial and you don't do anything. Really? I ran a football franchise. Okay, honey, you can't do what I do. Not even on a good day. So, I mean, I say to say, like, looking at people like Clara Jeffrey, who are in denial, absolute denial about what it takes to win this thing. We're in absolute denial of what we need to be doing in this less than eight weeks to voting. And again, yes, I know so many of us, when Dem exit, we're going to vote for Jill Stein. We're going to vote, vote for, for, for whomever. We're going to write it in. You know, I'm blank out person. I have no problem with saying that. I'm definitely supporting, you know, whatever viable down ballots exist in my area um, and encourage everyone to, to be active and engaged and paying attention to mayoral races coming up, city council, things like that, because those are the votes that are really crucial. And I'm right here in Atlanta. We have the, um, uh, the OSD uh, amendment uh, for school control coming up. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's crucial and we need people paying attention because when people are disengaged in the process, they push shit through like this and everybody's like, well, who gave them the power to do that? Well, you did by staying home and not voting. You know, I know, I know a lot of people are really discouraged by what has happened in this primary season, but here's the thing, right? What was felt particularly by Bernie Sanders supporters in many instances has been felt and has been done to people for 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 eon, for generations now in this country, even in democratically held, you know, some places, you know, Illinois for a long time was a democrat. I mean, you've had very shady dealings going on with funny business and voting machines and things like for for a long time. That doesn't make it any better, but now you see how deeply entrenched the system is in the problem. This is why so many people have checked out in the process. That's not a good reason. We need to we need to find a way to bring people back into the fold. This right here, this don't do it. Blaming people, you know, denouncing them. There is a reason why the younger generation in particular, because they're not as tied to these, they don't have that same loyalty. They don't have that blind allegiance and faith, you know, to the queen mother, the way the older folks do. And, and we have to continue to, you know, I would like to see, I think, I think Nick maybe made this comment earlier. I would like to see Jill Stein's numbers higher than, than, than Gary Johnson's. Um, you know, if you're someone that has, if you have some time, you can hop on the phone, make you get the boat out for Jill Stein. You know, there, there are so many other people out there that you need helping out and you're not to vote for too. Um, if you're not someone who feels like you should, you, it's your imperative. Do I want to see Donald Trump become president? No, I don't. Um, but I do feel like the Democratic Party and their candidate in that campaign need to do better. They need to do better. And this type of statement, you know, we have stuff from Amanda, what, she gives the redheads a bad name. You know, we have all, there's, there's so much vitriol that comes from these diehard Clintonites and, and, and it makes it so difficult to even be human towards them. You know, it makes it so difficult to even be civil. But we, we must rise above and do our best <laughs> where we can. Um, but yeah, that was my little diatribe for the night about this, this that, her, her privileged. Yes, I went to Sidwell. Um, hmm. We're not the problem. You overindulge late 40, 50 somethings. Y'all are the problem. Y'all are the ones that with that new wave uh, uh, triangulation, you know, you rode the wave and didn't care what it did to the rest of us coming down the pipeline. But um, yeah, that was, yeah, I, I saw that earlier today and I was like, this chick here, hmm, she lucky I don't know her. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, 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 but finally, um, I want to talk just, just for a hot a little bit about Tyree King. We don't know much beyond what the police have said. Um, Tyree King, for those who are not familiar, and if you are, if you do start, if you have been tweeting about him, if you do tweet about him, if you're sharing information, and I mean, it, it is, and I'm glad the family, and I'm glad through the, through the lawyer, the family did correct this. The correct spelling of his name is T-Y-R-E. There's not double E's. 
Um, but he was fatally shot yesterday in Columbus, Ohio, my 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 adult home, I consider my adult home. Um, he was a uh, one of my one of my nieces went to this school. Um, he uh, was an eighth grader at Lyndon McKinley STEM Academy in Columbus. Um, you know, 13 years old, he was um, shot and killed by the police. Um, they claimed they were searching for an armed robbery suspect. And they claimed that he fit the description where he might have been one of the suspects. The, it's muddled, allegedly, you know. Um and him and another person and they you know the cop in question claimed he reached for the gun but then i was also reading that he tried to run and then he was shot and so um the cop is now on administrative leave they're they're investigating the family has retained counsel to 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 you know make sure the investigation is only supposed to but there are issues with columbus columbus has had when you look at the proportion of the population to police shootings you know a, a high number comparatively. Um, Tyree was shot multiple times. The the officer, the responding officer, um, the shooter, had previously, I believe it was in 2012, had been cleared of uh, fatally shooting a man uh, when they responded to his home about a person who would not leave. So they fatally, from what I read earlier, um, they fatally shot, he fatally shot, the same cop fatally shot someone who had called the police for help. Yeah. So this is based on only what we have from the police. There are no, there's no camera. There were no, um, they did not have on body cams. Um, and, 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 you know, this young man supposedly, like I said, allegedly was, it turns out it was a BB gun. Um, they, they're saying it looked like a handgun in his waistband. It was a BB gun. Um, I have, I've written about my feelings after Tamir Rice, and this is Columbus, Ohio, which is two and a half hours approximately um, southwest of Cleveland, where Tamir was murdered, um, also playing outside with a BB gun. Um, I'm not rushing to draw com comparisons, and, you know, we don't really know all the facts and stuff, but at the same time, there are so many instances where people, in many cases, they're white people who, even if they reach for a gun, have pointed a gun and people say, oh, you can't, they're, they, they shoot them too. That is true. But disproportionately, more often than not, even with brandishing a weapon, you are more likely to survive an encounter with the police if you're white than if you're black. That is, that is, that is documented. They're facts, not conjecture. The numbers exist. Um, it also made me think when they're like, well, they, they, they think he was a suspect or they think he might have fit the description. You know, we just saw the same case in Newark a few weeks ago with the young, with a little boy. I wasn't going to say young man, he's a little boy. Um, little boy, they were chasing a suspect and then they ran upon a little boy and said, well, he fits the description and, you know, pulled out guns on him. Um, this whole fill, fit the description, you know, I thought it was a gun. <sighs> We need to do better, right? So we need, we need to do better. We need to do better. And we need to make sure that, that our children are able to come home. Um, now, was he doing something he was or was not supposed to do? I have no clue. Um, but does that mean that he deserved to lose his life? Absolutely not. And Columbus, I, I remember when I was in college, there were issues. There were, it was the same summer. There were some issues. There were some killings in the over the Rhine area in Cincinnati, um, and there had been rioting in Cincinnati. And I remember they were afraid that they were going to have the same situation in Columbus because they had, there was a, I remember there was one incident where someone had tried to run from the police, tried to hop a fence, and they were shot in the back. Um, and and we, we have these instances of people being shot while running away. And there's still no charges bought. It's still, there's, the officers are still cleared, but it's just like clearly what was the danger posed if they were running away? It's not a felon, not, you know, someone in the commission of a felony. It's not a felon fleeing a scene. I mean, it's it's disheartening. It really is disheartening. Um, and, and, and it's like, you know, you hear the same exact language. It's almost like this is taught somewhere, some secret code school where police officers learn. And please save the, the, well, the good officers. Good officers do not stand by and watch other officers do what they do. 
I'm sorry. There are no clean hands in all of this. You you may not be the one to actually be pulling the trigger. You may, you know, follow protocol and procedure. And looking at what actually is protocol and procedure is another thing that we need to start doing when we're talking about our community activism. It's great to shut it down and protest, but what actually is the 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 protocol in cases? What 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 do the handbooks say? What are the administrative procedures in place? And that is what we need to also start demanding. Be if they need to be clarified, if the new rules need to be adopted. Um, you know, there, there are mechanisms that, that, that mayoral offices, city councils, those in charge of police departments can take and put into place that do not involve, you know, widespread national legislative action. I mean, there are things that can be done administratively, like the chokehold policy that is in place in New York, which from reading the plain definition, um, you know, the officer who killed Eric Garner most definitely violated, you know, the Staten Island DA is an idiot, but that was an administrative procedure adopted after the killing of, uh, of Baez um, several, you know, a couple of decades earlier. So, so it is possible to get things put up. Now, getting enforcement also, I mean, we have to continue to be engaged and demanding. But um, so one of the things that we're doing as Progressive Army, as a unit, as a team, as a family, as a community, um, and we are beginning to reach out to folks. Um, shout out to everyone who has been giving me panel suggestions. The, the pinned tweet I actually have on Twitter is actually for this project we're working on. But I do appreciate all the suggestions that we've been getting overall. So internally, you know, looking at the beautiful work that was done by me, we've been inspired. We've been inspired by the work of, you know, the platform released by Movement for Black Lives. We've been inspired by the work of so many. When you talk about Asada's daughter, Sankofa, um, Justice League New York, uh, Million Hoodies, um, Sean King has written several pieces and you know, there are so many people out there who have done such great work. There, there's so many warriors coming out of Ferguson and St. Louis area, you know, Atlanta, Chicago, uh, Baltimore. Um, shout out to people like Kwame Rose. And and I mean, there, there's so many great people doing, you know, this work all over the place, whether it's education. I mean, because we're looking beyond, like, even though this is a very pressing issue, we're, we're looking at initially this expansive program. Um, and we're in the process of reaching out and connecting with folks to, to come in and have these conversations with us and not just have conversations and, and retell the stories and relitigate, you know, various issues and discuss, you know, factors of systemic racism and stuff. But we need to get comfortable having these conversations out loud and in groups. Right. And then we also need to start getting comfortable with brainstorming ideas and, and ways of putting, you know, plans and platforms into action. Um, using things that have come out of uh, Movement for Black Lives, for example, with, with that platform, there, there, are action, there are action items there that local communities and groups can actually, you know, adopt and attempt to implement and work towards. And these are, these are plans that actually, these, these are things that actually better the life of the community, right? And this should be the type of thing that our, especially our elected officials, people who say they're supposedly serving us, should really be interested in helping to bring to fruition. So, I mean, it's actually, I thought, I thought I was going to be able to do a little bit better with talking about Tyree King, but like the fact that, again, we have another young man, the same, same, my son turns 13 in December. Um, I just, you know, finished drive, picking up him and his two friends from skating this week, and they're, they're both turning 13 in the next couple of weeks. It's, it's fucking scary. Excuse my language. It is, it is scary. It is scary. And and even if, like, like I said, even if he did do something, it doesn't mean that that's worth his life being taken. I mean, you know, folks always want to say boys will be boys. We got people raping folks and getting out of jail after three months. And yet, you know, a little boy with a BB gun is murdered. And everyone is just like, eh, that's what he gets. Hmm, whatever. Shouldn't have had a BB gun. Um, there's a homeless story. I, the mayor, the mayor of Columbus, made a comment earlier about how this is what happens when we have a, a, a culture that is fixated on guns. Um, I'm guessing, you know, meaning the young man, the young boy playing with a gun. Um, I would say that this is what happens when we have a culture that is fixating on excusing bad police behavior, on poor judgment, and um, when you have police officers who have multiple uh, 
killings. And most people say police, most police officers rarely ever discharge a gun, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but those who do, we, we, we need to protect against, we need to protect the liberties and we need to protect against the situations where those who do, do so inappropriately, do so without provocation and do so without, 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 without thought. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little, it's a little tough. And I really didn't want to end on a low note tonight, but I mean, it's real. This is real. And this is, this is the type of thing that we got to think about all the time. Like, you know, anytime my kid wants to run outside and go play manhunt, I've, I've talked about this before, um, at Christmas, Max got a, Max got a paintball gun. We like paintball. Um, we used to live in West Virginia. He used to go, you know, it was very hard for me to let him use guns. Um, why would you let a child use a gun? I know because I was living in West Virginia. That's what people do. They let their kids go shooting for fun and to try to explain to other people why he was not allowed to do that. It was, it was it's a completely different culture. It's a different, completely different way of thinking, but it's not that, that dare target or shoot someone there either. Um, there was a young man either a year or two ago who was actually targeted by the cop on his block who just didn't like him. His friends had actually played a prank on the cop. The cop chased random down and picked a fight with this kid. Basically, this kid, he was 18, um, picked a fight with him on the side of a road and they tussled. And again, the cop was off duty. It was over a prank. Of someone, one of the boys put a pair of shorts, a pair of uh, uh, boxer briefs or something like that on his car, you know, goofing around. And the boys admitted they did it, but he still detained the other boy that he just didn't like him. And he ended up shooting and killing him. He claimed it was self-defense, but you know, it's, there are so many different egregious scenarios that can tend to happen. And the problem is that we give people a badge. We don't give them the resources in terms of trainings in some scenarios. We, we don't check, you know, meaningful actions in terms of actual complaints and, and abuses of power. Sure, people do lie on people in power. There are kids who've lied on their teachers. I mean, all types of habit. But to not even consider the possibility that there are bad cops out there who are bad actors who are abusing the system, who are abusing the power, it 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 it, it opens up more damage than than than, than so-called protecting the good ones. And and we really need a culture change. I mean, we the system needs to be completely stripped, shocked, and and rebooted in some other format. Um, so yeah, so please definitely stay tuned. Um, I think we are aiming for, uh, two weeks from, we're, we're talking, we're thinking about doing these on Friday nights. Um, we'll, you know, round table of hosts and guests, uh, we're going to have some writing out. I mean, it's a big project. And, and if you have any guys, if you have any ideas, suggestions, um, guest ideas, tips, if you think you have a piece maybe that you would like for us to publish, I mean, you know, shoot it out to us. Um, and, and let's see what we can do. I mean, we need to do our part to help be a part of the conversation and help, you know, continue to, to, to drive the narrative change that needs to happen to move the needle forward um, so that we're not sitting here having yet another conversation about another. Um, I mean, he's not even in high school. He won't even, you know, I mean, it's. So, yeah, so that is uh, this has been the Benjamin Dixon show. I'm Anoa Changa filling in for Ben Dixon. Um, I mean, it's a lot to think about, you know, like I was, I was talking about the TI video. I mean, we shouldn't have to, I shouldn't have to show you a white kid in this scenario for you to feel for people. And I'm not saying you, you know, the viewer, but you know, the euphemistic you for people to feel sympathy for the loss of life. You know, I, we, we shouldn't have to do that. As if somehow that is more valuable, you understand better. It's like, you know, you should just understand because people exist and have liberties and rights and they should be protected. That's just, that's just what it is. So I'm out tonight. I'm out. That's, that's how we're going to leave it for tonight. Um, you guys have a good weekend and uh, Ben will be back on Monday. All right. Peace. Show is only possible with listener support. Go to www.thebenjamindixonshow.com to register for our blog, join the progressive army, and support the Benjamin Dixon Show. If you like this episode, be sure to share, like, and subscribe. Consider.